Thanks so much, team. Thank you. How about we thank our team? And Luke, I know you're my husband. He's walking away from me. But God has given you such an anointing and a gift to bring people into the house and bring people into the courts of God and never doubt that he has anointed you to write songs that will be weapons in the spirit realm that will bring many to salvation. So he has um, touched on it this morning that we are speaking on. I have decided to worship. And excuse me if I be a little emotional this morning because worship is so dear to my heart. And um, if I just present it factually, maybe I'll get through it. And, um, and if you're taking notes this morning on I have decided to worship, you could forward slash that and just say I've decided to obey. <laughs> Because really worship and a life of worship is really a life that is living in obedience to the word and to the spirit of God. And um, there's, I, uh, there's a lot of things that we can associate with worship and, and the guys talked about it before that music is an expression of worship. And, um, but it is not worship itself. I, I recall a conversation with um, Nikki and Rihanna a couple of months ago. And it was hilarious. They said, do you know what I realize when I come to church? Christians sing a lot. And, um, and then the next statement was, yeah. And then the next statement was, yeah. And you know what else I've realized? I can't sing. <laughs> so um, we do sing a lot. We sing a lot. And, and that is a beautiful expression of what is coming out of our hearts. Worship, worship music provides a very unique way that a couple hundred people could all join in at the same time and declare the truth of our Lord. That music provides that. And if you don't like music in church, you are going to hate heaven because it doesn't stop. It does not stop. It just over and over. And they sing the same song over and over. So get used to singing that God is holy because that is what heaven's going to be like. It, it says that they sit around his throne and they take one more glimpse at him and they cry and, and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they took, take another look and they sing again. And that's what we'll be doing. And that's why we, we bring praise and worship into the house because it allows us to, to bring truth and unity through song as an offering to our God. And I have, I've, I've loved worship music for a long time. As long as I can remember, I, there was worship in the house that I grew up in. My dad played guitar. I have um, very vivid memories of all the young youth guys coming around and dad was trying to teach them guitars and it was horrible. Um, but they all would sit around and, and dad would teach them worship songs on guitar. And I, I have vivid memories of my mom worship leading and... Um, in her sequin jacket that she made herself and teaching the singers the harmonies on and what we would bring to God that service. And, and it has always been part of my life. And um, personally, my life changed a lot when this day came that I was, um, we had a, a piano in my house and it was mine and Holly's to share. Like Beck said, we don't share too well. I wanted to do my room and yada, yada. She's a way better sharer than me. And, um, 
And, but my life changed when I got my own piano. And I, I remember the day that it got off the truck and, and it was just dad and I home and I, um, and I really wanted it in my room but I hadn't cleaned my room and so I was too embarrassed to let the delivery guys bring in the piano. So it went downstairs and then I remember crying that night thinking, I wanted it in my room. And so I cleaned my room and there's a sermon in itself. Clean up, bring in the instrument of praise. Uh, And dad rang the removalist to bring it back. And anyway, and this piano was smack bang in the middle of my uh, bedroom. And it was from there much to the sleepless nights of my family, that I developed and cultivated a lifestyle of worship before the Lord. And there, there are so many songs, I'm sure they were terrible, but that I sang to the Lord because it was an overflow of my heart. There were so many nights well, well into the morning that I would just bang on that piano in praise and worship to God. There was something that I was developing within me that I didn't know that I would need later on in life. And and worship has just become such an integral part of my life when I can pinpoint heartbreaks in my life and then I can pinpoint the memory of being hands lifted and worshiping God, not because of the outcome, but because of who he was. And I developed that because I decided to bring my love to him through an expression of worship music. You might express your worship to God another way. You could be a really, really good mum. You could express your worship that way, and and that's fantastic. But this is the journey I was on, and it has just been a a beautiful journey that God has taken me on through the expression of worship. And I'm not even speaking on worship music this morning, so let's quickly turn to Genesis 22. I just want want to give God glory. Who would have known that as a young girl at 14 that God was getting me ready for a foundation of worship? He is so good. He's so good. I love him. I love him for that. And we're going to Genesis 22, uh, verses 22 as well, because uh, this is the first time that we actually see the word worship in the Bible and biblical scholars will, uh, they work on different laws and uh, not the law of the Bible, but there is a law, a biblical law called the first, the first mention, the biblical law of first mention. And that um, actually talks about that wherever an important word is first mentioned in the Bible, that sets the premise of what it means throughout the rest of scripture. And time and time again, you can go through and check that and, um, There's lots of tables that you can check it through. It's a very interesting read. If you want to have a look through that, that's the biblical law of first mention. But this is the first mention of worship in the Bible. And it is nothing like the picture I had at my piano. It is a gritty and tough uh, bit of scripture. And it's where uh, Abraham is told to bring his son Isaac. And um, I'll try and move quickly because we have taken time. Yeah. Yeah. This one. Sorry, everyone. 22 verse 1. Thanks, Rihanna. Uh, Okay, after these events, what events? Uh, Abraham was very, very blessed in the land. He was uh, becoming a prominent person in the land, and he just made a treaty. He built a well. He said that God is the God who provides. After these events and some time, God comes and tests Abraham, and he says to him, Abraham, he says, here I am. 
God says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, on whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early, saddled his donkey and took his young men with him and his son Isaac and he split the wood for the burnt offering and then he began began the trip to the place on which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And Abraham said to his servant, settle down and stay here with the donkey and I and the young man will go yonder and worship and come to you again. Then Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it upon the shoulders of Isaac, his son, and he took the fire, the fire pot in his own hand and a knife and the two of them went on. And Isaac said to Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, see, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the little lamb for the burnt offering? You can just imagine the... Anyway, uh, Abraham said, my son, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two went on together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and then he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and he took hold of the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he answered, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear and revere God, since you have not held back from me or begrudged giving me your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and glanced around and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering and an ascending sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Any parents in here would hear that story and think that is one of the most gut-wrenching stories. How could that ever happen? And I can imagine the, the heartbreak that Abraham would have uh, been going through when he heard from God that this is what he was to do. I'm sure he didn't sleep that night. I'm sure he would have gone to Isaac's bedside and just looked at him and just wept. And there would not have been a word to Sarah, that's for sure. Or they would not have been going for a walk that day. But what a, what a hard sacrifice that God asked him to make. And the first thing that we can actually pull from this story, and I'll move quickly through it, that worship requires obedience. You can have obedience without worship, but you can never have worship without obedience. You can do things just because you have to. That's not worship. Worship is a longing to please the Father, a longing to be in His will. When you come to Him in worship, you are putting Him at the supreme value on who He is and what He's worth. We get the word worship from our word worth-ship. Worship is ultimately where you place your worth. Who or what or anything in your life gets the most worth? What is it that governs your life? Is it your relationship? Is it your children? Is it, is it your work? Is, I don't know what it might be, but worship is placing God at the most, giving your worth to God. That he takes, he takes the prominent spot of worth, that all of it filters through him. All of life revolves around him. It is he who takes the place on the throne. 
What would your life look like today if you were in complete obedience? What is your life? How different does it look if you were walking in complete obedience? Because that's what worship looks like. Obeying the Lord. In Romans 12, the message, verses 1 to 2, it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. See, it doesn't need to be a holy ceremony or or, or bringing of incense or anything. It doesn't require anything. Bring your everyday life, everything you do, that driving, that eating, that working you do, that raising your children you do, bring it before the Lord and bring it as an offering of pleasing God. One of the greatest pictures of worship through obedience we have is Jesus. Constantly, he was saying, I must be about my father's work. I must go to Samaria. I must go over, cross over. I must. There was something that compelled him. He must obey the will of the father. And if you think it was easy for him to obey all the time, just look at him in the garden when he's saying, God, if there's another way, you're the creative God. Surely you can come up with something creative here. But he says, not my will, but your will. Not mine, but yours. And that is the ultimate statement and act of worship that our life can take on. Not my will, but your will, God. The second thing that we can see out of Abraham here is worship is irrespective of circumstance. He said God was the provider when he made the treaty and built the well. And he said God was the provider when he was about to take his son. It was irrespective of circumstance what worth he placed on the Most High God. And worship is irrespective of our circumstance. It's not based on an emotion and it is not based on our circumstance of our lives. The only thing worship is based on is who God is. And if the angels thought he was worthy to be praised yesterday and today, he'll be worthy to be praised tomorrow. We continually say, on earth as it is in heaven. If you want that, continue to worship through any circumstance and any trial. Because that worship is not based on what we're going through. He, he has given a, a hard commandment, go and sacrifice your son. And he says, I'm going yonder to worship. How many of us would be like, well, God has told me to kill. I can't. His language even wasn't changed. How much does our language change when our circumstances go bad? His language did not change. I'm going yonder, meaning I don't have a clue where I'm going, but I'm going to worship. I don't know where God's calling me, but I know I'm going to worship. And sometimes our choice to worship is going to take us yonder as well. Going to take us places that, I have no idea where we're going here, Lord. Where are we going? But we continue to say, I don't know, but I'm going to worship. See, worship is different to thanksgiving and praise because thanksgiving anyone can do. 
It says that the rain even falls on the unjust and the just. Everyone can thank God for, oh, thank God the sun's out. Thank God the traffic wasn't bad. Anyone can thank God. Even people can praise God. Oh, praise God, I got a car. How good's my car? I love my new car. I praise God. You can praise God for who he is, but worship goes beyond a circumstance. Worship comes into a new realm of relationship. And only those who know him can worship him. People who don't know him can, can talk of his good things and, and praise the good things that maybe the church is doing or God has done. But worship is an intimate relationship between the Father and us. We see one of the best examples of circumstance not dictating worship in um, in the book of Job, it's in the first chapter, and he just gets told his 10 children have died. All his crops are gone. His houses are destroyed. And you know what it says he does? He falls down and worships. Oh, that you might slay me, I will still lift you high. Oh, that I could lose everything of significance, but I will still worship. It doesn't say he fell down and cursed God. Why have you taken away the good things? God is the same whether we have good things or whether we don't. Praise praises him because things are good, but worship says, I will worship you if things never look good again. Worship, it's an act of the heart irrespective of circumstance. And Jesus in John 4, 23, when he's talking to the Samaritan, to the um, woman by the well, he says, a time will come, however, indeed, it is already here when the true genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people as these, as his worshipers. Do you find it interesting that a God who needs nothing is looking for you. He needs nothing, but he is searching you out. He's searching your heart out in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says that because worship doesn't take place in the earthly realm. It takes place in the spirit. Which brings me to the next point, in truth. True worship is established in Revelation. How did Abraham know to take his son? He didn't have a Bible. I've got a Bible and that's not the verse I'd pick out that God's talking to me. It was God revealed it to him. I love that this series has started with word. I've decided to read and then it's moved to prayer. I've decided to commune and pray with God because how do we get revelation from the Lord? It is through word and prayer. He only knew to follow this commandment because God had revealed it to him. Worship is established in revelation of who God is. So many, a mistake a lot of modern churchgoers make today is that we mistake that this hour and a half is worship. This is an expression of worship, but this isn't worship. And, and, and we never make time to actually find out or who God is or let him reveal who he is. So we make up this God in our head. We create this God that we think, that things that we've heard about him, but we don't actually take time to learn him and get to know him. And then this God that we create in our mind, when he doesn't give us what we ask for, we get all disheartened about God. 
when you weren't even worshipping the God that, who was of the Bible, the one that you thought up. It is very possible to create an idea of God and still name it Jesus and still name it God and it not be the truth. You must allow the word to reveal who God is to your spirit so you can worship. The Israelites didn't. Moses went up on the mountain and he was crying out, oh God, just show me a little, a little bit of your face. He goes, well, cover your face. I'll walk by and you can see the end of my road. Okay, all right, all right, let's do that. And while he was seeking God, the Israelites were off the mountain away, not seeking who God was. And they made a golden calf. They still called it Yahweh. They still said he brought us out of Egypt, but they made him up. If your worship is not based in revelation, you'll be sorely disappointed when the God you created does not answer the requests that you are bringing him. You need to bring requests according to the word. That's why it says he'll give you the desires of your heart. The verse before that says, abide in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. If you abide in the Lord, you ask correctly. We must worship in spirit and in truth, not some magic idea of God. And lastly, if we read on, the very next verse in Genesis twenty-two fifteen to 18, it says, the angel of God spoke from heaven a second time to Abraham, right after he was about to go through with the sacrifice. And he says, I swear, God's sure word, because you have gone through with us and have not refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I'll bless you. Oh, how I'll bless you. And I'll make sure your children flourish like stars of the sky, like sand on the beaches. And your descendants will defeat their enemies. All nations of the earth will find themselves blessed through your descendants because you obeyed me. Last point, worship releases the promises of God in our lives. It was the true act of worship that Abraham offered to Jesus, offered to, offered to the Father and the blessing was released. There are songs about this promise. Father Abraham has many sons. Because of one act of worship. When we worship God, it is us putting God in the place of lordship over our lives. Why do the blessings get released when we worship God? Because when we step into our place of worshipping God, he can step into his place of working as God. In Isaiah 30, verse 32, it says, And every stroke of the staff of punishment and doom, which the Lord lays upon them, shall be to the sound of Israel's timbrels and lyres. What's he saying there? God will use his rod and beat the enemies, but it is released through your worship. To the sounds of timbrels and lyres. The salvos have had it right all along. (laughs) But I believe one of the many reasons, one of the reasons many people never make it into the place of worship is because worship requires true surrender. For God to be in control. When we're in control, The battle is ours. When we worship, the battle is the Lord's. 
And it always was his. He's just waiting for you to, t- for him to have access to it. The battle is the Lord's. We were created to worship. That's what we were created to do. He wanted to be in deep communion with us. To worship. Do you mind if I take two more minutes? I know we're a bit over time. Oh, thanks, Pete. I just want to show you a really practical um, image or picture, a prophetic image that God has put in the Bible for us because we serve a God of order. He likes things specifically. He is a um, passionate interior designer. Um, As you would look through the scriptures, he is very specific about what he has in his houses. And um, I just want to take us through a really quick look of the tabernacle that God provides dwelt in. (laughs) I'm not going to get that word out. In Psalm 104, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. David in the Psalms here was actually describing a tabernacle, the tabernacle where God first uh, had the Ark of the Covenant. And it was made to the to the very last detail that God laid out. He had specific measurements. And there were gates. And David here tells us that that you enter the gates with praise. Why do we sing those fast songs that tell of the goodness of God when we come in? We're entering his gates with thanksgiving. You are good all the time. All the time you are good. It is us as a congregation moving together to enter his courts with praise, with thanksgiving. He says, you enter his courts with praise. What is praise? We praise him for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. We praise him for the character that he has. We praise him for his faithfulness. So we move from thanksgiving to praise into his courts. And then there was this other place called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was resting. That's where the presence of God was resting. And only the priests could go in there. And they were so expectant of God's holiness and that God would move in that place that, that they would tie a rope around the priest's foot because if he went in there with sin, he would drop dead and they would pull him out. And that, that holy of holies was blocked out by a veil, by a thick curtain. The very curtain that was torn when Jesus died on the cross. And the way that you get to the holy of holies is not by thanksgiving or praise, but by worship. You get there by worship. Why? Because you come to him in faith, believing and expecting that he is all that he says he is. And he will do all that he says he will do. It is the holy of holy place. And if Jesus' life was worth enough that we would to be given so that you and I could have access to that, shouldn't you and I give our whole lives to seeking his face in that place? 
I believe in that place is everything that we cry out for out on the gates, but never bother entering in and relate, having a relationship with Him. We might cry back at the gates, you're good, so I heard you do miracles, but never actually go in and go, God, if you never do another thing, just let me know you. Just let me know you. And that's why the blood of Jesus was shed so we could have that communion with the Lord, which is worship. It's worship. A life of worship will require obedience and sacrifice. It doesn't come cheap, but it's definitely free. I love in the last verse I'll use, in the end of 2 Samuel, David says, I will not offer that which costs me nothing. And that is worship. It doesn't cost you nothing, but you gain everything. You gain everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of your son that gives me access to the place where you dwell. Without condemnation, without guilt, I can walk in and get to know my heavenly father. I pray, Lord, that you would put within our hearts a burning desire, especially over these 21 days, God, as we fast and seek your face, that we would have a deep hunger for the word of God, to pray with God and to worship you with our life, that our life would be an offering to the King. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.